right, let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, thank you for bringing us together as family this morning. Every day is a day to rejoice in. Every day that you give us is a day to be grateful for because it's another day for us to bring glory to you, the unworthy stewards of your time, your life that you've given to us. May we never become familiar with these things, that it's by grace and mercy motivated by love that we even have an opportunity like this morning to break bread together, to dine on the very bread of life, to be encouraged by the presence of one another. All in the name of your good Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this morning. Uh, We pray for the Coughlin family as well as they mourn but also celebrate Frank's promotion. We're so grateful to have known him. We pray for those in this world, Father, that are still lost without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make times like this just moments to rejoice in, to relish, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Okay, we're back to business as usual, uh, part 59 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. But before we do that, just some highlights, obviously, from our, excuse me, two special messages the Spirit had Scott deliver on family discipline applied. Um, There was solid closure uh, in the series, so I don't have much to say on the topic. But here's what the Spirit's giving me in terms of review up here on the board. First off, family discipline applied. The faithfulness of our God disciplines us when we need it out of his tremendous love for us. The faithfulness of our God disciplines us when we need it out of his tremendous love for us. And I think this is always the first thing to remember here, that discipline is a good thing. Amen? Discipline is a good thing. In that moment when we're whining and being adolescent, it seems like a bad thing. We moan about it as if it's a bad thing. But the truth be told on the subject, discipline is a very good thing. As Hebrews 12.10 says, God disciplines us for our good. For our good that we may share his holiness. In other words, as we'll speak about this morning, there's an end goal to discipline. It's not just, hey, you stepped out of line, whack. It's not like that. There's an end goal in mind, always. And so it's for our good, and therefore discipline is a very good thing that we may share 
His holiness. And so, you know, right there I say, you know, is there much, is there really much more to say? I mean, if we're humble, we get it. If we're humble, we get it. If we persist in arrogance, we reject this simple truth. You know, we do that thing like, I don't like it. I'm going to persist in my arrogance, and we're going to stomp our feet. And you ready? Drum roll, you ready? We suffer. When we do this thing, we suffer. And so the pain that is associated with that suffering, it it works out that pain is a primitive aspect of this discipline that's so good for us. That even the pain itself, you say, oh, but it's painful. It's bad. You know, pain is bad. No, it's not. Not with the right perspective, it isn't. It's actually your friend. Really good friend. As an analogy, have you ever had a splinter that you couldn't actually see? You know, you know it's in there, but you, man, oh, man, the pain's real. You know, you're like, man, there's something in there. I just can't see it. I don't know. Could be anything lodged under your skin that's invisible. But the pain is real. You know what I'm talking about. Something there. Pain's definitely real. Can't see it. Well, unconfessed sin is like that, or is like a splinter to the unrepentant believer. Unconfessed sin is like a splinter to the unrepentant believer. So think about it. By definition, sin means to miss the mark, right? That's what sin by definition means. In theology proper, it means to miss the mark. Here's where you're supposed to hit, you hit over here. You missed the mark. That's sin. And the Bible says that we reap what we sow, right? And as we've been learning, the Bible also says that God the Father will discipline us when we are disoriented or sinning, right? Yeah. So I think in many ways, we all have, quote, splinters that maybe we can't see yet. Or maybe we ignore them. Or flat out refuse to confess or repent from them. We all have that. But the pain and the suffering, regardless of any of that, just cannot be ignored. So this, this pain becomes the issue. Because apparently... We've chosen to ignore or reject or, you know, refuse to confess or, you know, can't see it, you know, la, 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 it's out of sight, out of mind. But the pain persists as this grace gift. So we try to do our best sometimes to ignore sin in our lives, ill behavior, disorientation to the holy God of the universe. You know, we mask it and we say, ah, it's not there, it's not there. But the pain of that thing persists. And so 
pain and suffering simply cannot be ignored. This is where, as I've taught in the past, pain is a very useful instrument that God uses to wake us up. He won't let us sleep comfortably, fair enough, on a bed of, of sin. He says, no, no, you're going you're gonna to be in pain. I'm not going to let that thing persist in you without some manifestation of your sin or your disorientation to me. could be a haunting conscience, you know, whatever. Some of you might remember that I preached a message using SIP, congenital insensitivity to pain, also known as congenital analgesia, if I'm saying that correct. A few years back I taught that. And it's a real condition where people don't literally, they don't feel pain. They don't feel physical pain. And the analogy there was to think about how serious it is for a person in this world who cannot feel physical pain. They end up hurting themselves awfully as a result. So if you were to ask them, would you like to feel pain instead? They'd likely say, yes, please, let me feel the pain. Please, let me feel the pain. You see, this is exactly what the Spirit has been teaching us this past week. Like the invisible splinter, we want to see it all as truth. We don't want to, you know, do this number. We want to see it all as truth. We, we want to understand what it is that's causing this persistent pain in our own lives. Up here on the board, perspective on discipline. A humble person accepts pain for what it is, a grace gift from God. Pain from discipline is a cause for gratitude, not spite. <coughs> Again, a humble person accepts pain for what it is. It's a grace gift from God. Pain from discipline is a cause for gratitude, not spite. And just as a little side note here, um, I think the Spirit just wants us to be honest with ourselves, to cover all bases. We have to stop, because we all do this, we have to stop acting like there's no splinter. You know, that we never reached for something unholy and picked up the splinter in the first place, right? So if this was like something unholy, we're like, oh, I picked up a splinter. We have, to, we have to stop acting like we didn't do this. We have to stop that. You know what I'm saying? I, I think you do. Some of us make a habit of proclaiming that our suffering isn't a splinter at all of our own doing. You know? Rather, we like to propose that we are like Paul who begged God to remove the thorn from his flesh. You know, 
a messenger of Satan was sent to harass him. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 7. We would all, well, we sh I should say, we all like to play that game. Oh, it's a thorn from Satan himself. What? Wasn't it just you that I just saw going like this? Woo! Right? Wasn't it you that chose to stick your hand out and receive that splinter? You got the splinter because you made a conscious decision to go against God's will for your life. That's why you have the splinter. It's not Satan's not harassing you. Right? I mean, it's a really good chance that you're not important enough for Satan himself to harass you. Right? It doesn't work like that. We have to stop this kind of foolishness if we ever wish to be delivered. Remember the end goal? If we ever wish to be delivered from pain itself, we have to stop the games, too. Own your splinters. Own them. They're yours. You receive them because of your own activities, your own decisions. Own them. Own your suffering, then. Own your sins. Confess them. And repent. Repent. Again, up here on the board, perspective on discipline. A humble person accepts pain for what it is, a grace gift from God. Pain from discipline is a cause for gratitude, not spite. So, with the right perspective, the right perspective, we arrive at one of the key principles from this past week up here on the board, the good from discipline, God's plan includes training us and healing us. And that takes discipline at times because we don't see our blind spots, but God does. In other words, sometimes we have to be reminded. I don't understand why this is happening, Lord. It just doesn't seem fair. I'm just... And he says, do you remember when you did this? <laughs> that was 10 years ago. Yeah, and you still haven't repented. You're still paying the piper because you're arrogant. You won't own your own splinters. You won't own your own life. You won't own your own decisions because you've bought that lie that the world likes to peddle nowadays. It's not your fault, sweetie. We train them at this big now. It's not your fault. Someone should have never... Shame on the electrician, huh, for putting outlets where you can touch them. It's not your fault, sweetie. It's someone else's fault. You know? That's the thing that's peddled nowadays. It's never our fault. It's easy just to blame someone else. No one takes responsibility anymore. And this is what the Spirit's saying. You have to start with that. Take responsibility. Own your own splinters. Own your own sin. Confess it. Repent. Right? So I like that part, that point regarding blind spots because like the invisible splinter, we sometimes don't see what exactly is hurting us. Maybe it's a lie that our parents told us when we were kids. 
And that's haunted us for years and years. Or maybe it's a lie we received from an errant religion. Or maybe it's one of a million lies we've received from the world. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, up here on the board, perspective on discipline, one of the greatest things about pain is that it tells us something is wrong. That can't be right. <laughs> That's the beauty of pain. It's there to say, hey, something's wrong. Imagine being that person with SIP. You know, they just broke their arm. They don't even know. And they try to lean on it. Now the bone's sticking through the skin. You follow? You don't have that problem. God makes sure that you can feel that pain. And it's real. And it's good. So one of the greatest things about pain is that it tells us something is wrong. The nervous system, whether in the physical sense or the figurative sense, for example, emotional pain, is one of the greatest gifts we've ever been given. Does it hurt when you're in pain? Last time I checked. But look at the circumstances if you didn't have pain in your life you would likely self-destruct. So if we look at this a different way, I was just thinking about, you know, multiple angles into the same rose bush, the same truth. If we look at this a different way, we might best consider, if we get stuck in the moment, in other words, you know, you know how that happens, right? You, now you're convicted and you, you get stuck and you, you're battling with, anger and resentment and confusion and, uh, and, he's, and the Spirit's just saying maybe the best way to look at it is just the end game of pain and suffering as a result of discipline. In other words, there's something beyond the discipline that God is after. Beyond it. That's what's going on right now. For a time, it seems harsh. But if you elevate your thinking... There's something that he's getting at. There's an end goal, right? Up here on the board, the good from discipline, the Spirit wants us to see discipline as a very good thing. In fact, something that brings us what? Relief. See, that seems like a, I don't want to say oxymoron, but you know what I'm getting at. seems kind of opposite. I mean, i got to be in pain to get relief? Yes. Otherwise, that pain is going to persist for as long as that splinter is in there. You've got to get the splinter out so you can be healed. And then you find relief. Some of you have been through that, right? I know I have. Like, I've been, la, 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 you know, to the Lord. I'm not listening. And then as soon as I get out of my own way and the splinter's pulled out, I go, oh, Right? You're like, oh, man, that was a long time coming. And God's like, you did it to yourself. You refused to own your own splinter. <laughs> so the desired end game for people who suffer, for suffering, is relief. I mean, I was thinking about it. Even Jesus sought relief, right? Go to, go to Matthew 26, 36. 
just so you know that, you know, seeking relief from pain is a normal thing. It's not abnormal to want to seek that relief. As a matter of fact, it's what you would expect. I mean, no one wants to live in pain. Matthew 26, 36. Matthew 26, 36 reads, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 26, 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I'm in pain here. I'm in agony. Remember he sweat blood even? I'm in agony here. And he asked his father, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So again, the point is, even Jesus sought relief. Of course, we're honest, the only difference between what we just read and what the Spirit's been pointing out to us is that in Jesus' case, he really was 100% faultless. But nonetheless, he sought relief. The point is that we all seek relief from pain. That is the end game. We want relief. How do I get from this father to that? How am I delivered? Eventually we do receive relief when we seek for it. But the implication as we've been studying is that we suffer first. There has to be some suffering, right, for us to be woken up. There has to be a, ow, something hurts. Something's wrong. I don't see it yet, but something's wrong. And so the implication is that we suffer first, just like the Bible says we will. To wake up to, you know, to wake us up to something being wrong in our lives. Some kind of sin. Some kind of missing the mark. So if we lose sight of the end game, we lose sight of what really matters when it comes to discipline. If we lose sight of the end game, we lose sight of the value of what's going on in the moment when we're being disciplined. You ready? Do you want to know where the relief is found? You ready? This is not, this is not a shocker up here on the board. There you go. The end goal of godly discipline is Repentance. Any kind, anytime you're disciplined by God, He's saying, listen, I want you to see it, I want you to confess it, and I want you to repent from it. It's not enough to just see it. It's not enough even just to confess it. You have to repent from it. You have to turn your back on that thing that's had its grip in you, the thing that's been causing pain. You have to say, I don't want it anymore. That's unholy. It's ungodly. It's not pleasing to you, Lord. Let's get this out of my life. 
So the end goal of godly discipline, the end goal, pain is on you, you recognize it for what it is, it's good, you got to go through it, you're thankful to God because He put that pain in your life to wake you up for the end goal of relief. And the only way you're relieved is when you repent. Amen? You have to repent. That's what repentance is. It's not just saying something to God. Oh, yeah, I see it too. And going right back to the, the mire. And that's what we all do to some degree, I guess. I think we get better at it as we mature. We do less of it as we grow up in the faith because we're less stupid. Right? That's why I love old people. That's why I love having people like Betty back. Right? Because they've got wisdom. They've been through it. I can see it. Anytime I teach a message like this, they're going, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, like this. Lois is like this. Mm-hmm. She don't do that. My neck. Right? That's what I love about old people in general is because they've been around. They say, yeah, it's, that's true. The end goal is repentance. And I think above all things, this is the simplest truth of all when it comes to discipline. The big picture at the end of the day, regardless of the cause, type, or severity of the pain, at the end of the day, the end goal is repentance. Yeah, repentance. Repentance is like saying, I want you out. Hmm. You have to want the splinter out. It's not enough to say, oh, yeah, I see it now. Because that's what a lot of people do. And some, I'm speaking to you, right? I know some of you personally, I know that's exactly what you've been doing for a very long time in your life. You're like, I see it, yeah. And God loves me so much, he's just going to put a little ointment on it and I can go live my life in disarray, in a lie. And he's like, No. You're going to suffer until you repent. Until you say, I want that splinter out. The question is, I mean, this isn't rocket science, right? I mean, I don't think so. Why doesn't the average so-called Christian understand this? I mean, I was thinking about that. You know, we live in America, and... American churches, sadly, have become like the church at Laodicea. We're a lot like the Corinthians, but if you've ever read the book of Revelations, you know there's a church called Laodicea, and they were called lukewarm. And America and American churches have become a lot like the church at Laodicea. Um, so I want to read that and read the Lord's advice for that church. And just before we go there, the context Remember, is the Lord is speaking to an entire church, not just individuals in it. Individuals are in the church. They comprise the church. But when you read this particular book, you have to read it this way. Make sure you understand the context. He's talking about a church. He's throwing his, the words, you know, telling John to write these words for the churches, right? So then the churches always have a mixed bag, right? Right? Uh, in the case here, this church had a surge of arrogance in it, apparently, to the point that God wanted to spit it out of his mouth. He said, this, this church has become 
distasteful to me. Blah. You can't make up your mind. You're just playing games. You're like, what do you want? You want the truth? Do you not want the truth? Go to Revelation 3.14. And that was his problem with the church at Laodicea, as we'll see. And that begs the question, you know, the impetus for this is, you know, why don't people just do the right thing, save themselves a lot of trouble? Like, why don't people just repent? Revelation 3, 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. You might think of that even as the word, right? Truth. So that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. I want you to see it all as truth, you see? What does he say in verse 19? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous in what? Repent. There you go. There's the end goal. I love you. This discipline is from a root of love. So be zealous, be grateful, and guess what? Repent. Repent. I wonder if that, I wonder if that concept, uh, I don't think it's very popular. Is that fair? In today's, quote, Christianity, modern Christianity, I don't think the, the, uh, the concept of repentance is popular. I think, I think we live in a world that loves to complain and is always looking for some new drama, right? God forbid someone repent and be delivered, they'd have nothing to be complaining about anymore. Do you follow what I'm getting at? It's like, I don't, it's this gross, like, perversion of what God plans life to be. I, I don't know. And then if, if we do repent from something and we're delivered, what do we do? Right? We find another splinter. Oh, man, I'm, oh, I got no pain in my life. I can't call my friend on the phone and say, oh, Satan's got a thorn in me. I got nothing to itch about. You don't get that? Why are we like that? It's bizarre. It's perverse. Repent. That's the whole point. Literally, that's the whole point. But we're so perverse. I don't know. We, I, I, sometimes I think we just like to be in pain, so we have something to complain about. That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't know. But here's the Lord telling this church, Write to them, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Again, the church of Laodicea was sort of like the average, I call it this, like the millennials, you know the millennials, the, I call it the meh generation. 
Hey, how you doing? Meh. How's life? Meh. How's your job? Meh. Do you have anything like, are you high or low? Meh. I just like exist. You know what I'm getting at? They just like, it's like you're not hot or cold. Like, I don't know what to do with you. Like, do you not have an opinion? Like, what's going on? You're just like sitting in there and like, I don't know. Kind of like that. It's kind of gross. So the Lord wished to snap this church as a whole, you know, like out of it. Snap out of it. Be zealous. Repent. I'm disciplining you. Repent. He was calling upon members of the church to repent. And the motivation here is obvious, I think. Look at verse 19 again. He says, those whom I what? Love. I'm doing it out of love. I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, the point on the board, the end goal of godly discipline is repentance. Always remember the point on the board. Always remember the point on the board. The end goal of godly discipline is repentance. And do your friends a favor and remind them of the same. You know, gently, of course, in the spirit of Galatians 6.1. But remind your friends, too. Listen, you're under discipline. I, I, know, I know it's easier for you not to take responsibility. But we can't do that here. You know? Take responsibility. Own your splinters. Own up. Repent from them. You can't repent from something that you don't own. You, you can't turn your back on something you refuse to say exists. Does that make sense? There's nothing to turn your back on. You have to turn away from that thing. So do your friends a favor and remind them of the same. Here's how the Holy Spirit presented this to us last time up here on the board the good from discipline. When we surrender to God and His wisdom and love for us, we are set free. We have relief from no longer being stubborn and living for ourselves. We're relieved. Living for self is the splinter. That's the, that's the sin in itself, that self-absorption, egocentrism, all that kind of stuff that's contrary to the way God wants you to live, especially as a believer you're missing the mark, therefore it's sin. When you pull that out, when you stop living for self, when you stop being self-absorbed, when you stop whatever, justifying your ungodliness to yourself and to others, that's when the splinter comes out. And when the splinter comes out, you finally receive relief. And I think, if you've ever been through this before, I think the the practical side is that if you've been living in dysfunction for years and years and years, there's that time period after you pull the splinter out that it feels funny. Almost like you missed the splinter. Does that make sense? Like you, you almost missed the splinter itself because the splinter, the pain is part of who you are. It's become part of who you are. That's you, me, my little buddy pain, we've been like this for 20 years or whatever, 
that's me. Like that's in, when that pain's gone. I think the natural thing to do is, you know, find another splinter. Because now you're, you, have, you have an almost like an identity crisis. But that's who I am. I'm the one who calls everybody up once a week and says, woe is me, I'm in such pain. Why is God doing this to me? You know, that whole thing. And so they just, it's them. And God's trying to deliver them from that thing. Anyways, relief. What a good thing. Here's the passage we ended with on Thursday. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 7. Hebrews 12, verse 7. We're our own worst enemies most days. Amen? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Hebrews 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there uh, whom his father does not discipline? It's a good question. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That means you're not even a believer at that point. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be what? Healed! Healed! That's the end goal! The splinter comes out, now you can actually heal! You can't heal if you leave the splinter in there! It has to come out! You have to repent! It's not enough just to say, I see it! It has to come out! But then I'll be lonely. My little buddy of 10, 20 years will be gone. My little dysfunction junction, it's going to be blowed up. You get all that weird, perverse resistance to pull the stupid splinter out. The idea is that you're healed. Make your path straight for your feet. Get right with God. I think the entire two-part series that I'm still reviewing (laughs) can be summarized by that last verse. Because it gives us the reason why discipline is so good for us. We're healed by it. Ultimately, the end goal is we're healed. How can that not be a good thing? The end goal of discipline is repentance, and repentance is the path to healing. The end goal of discipline is repentance, and repentance is the path to healing. This dovetails perfectly into the key principles from part 58 of our mainstream studies from a week and a half ago up here on the board. 
Deliverance is but a change of perspective away. You just need the Word of God. The caveat to the point on the board is that if you take out the power of God's Word, you're never delivered. In other words, you have to let the Word of God change your perspective. Stop reading self-help books. You don't need Oprah. You don't need Dr. Phil. You don't need to listen to other people's problems. You need to go to the Word of God and pray for deliverance, for, for sight. Let he who can hear, let he who has eyes see. I see this winter. Confess it. Do you understand it? I do. Good. Now repent from it. Let's pull that thing out. Without the power of the Word of God, that never happens. Because Hebrews 4.12 says it's the Word of God that's able to cut to the chase, right? All the way to the marrow, inside your bones, in other words. Nice graphical illustration, right? On the inside of your bones, like the, the, the root, root, root cause of everything. That's what the Word of God can do for you. Otherwise, you just get these band-aids. You read some famous book, some bestseller in the New York Times list, you know, about how to make yourself better. And a lot, sadly, a lot of these have Christian, so-called Christian authors, and, uh, and they're all just band-aids. Be a better you. I'd have to get a big curly wig or something. You know, put some, uh, I don't know. What was that stuff from uh, Coming to America? Brill cream? No. What was that stuff called where you left a greasy spot in the back? Soul glow! Scott, you remember. <laughs> he remembers from down the beaches in Rhode Island. Got <laughs> that soul glow. If you didn't see the movie, I apologize. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. But the caveat to the point on the board is that you need the word of God. Or you're never delivered. Just look at what the Spirit just taught us about discipline as an example. Think about that. What, where did we get our wisdom? We got it from the Word of God. We got it from the Word of God, which basically said, I love you enough to discipline you to the point where you repent and therefore find relief, are delivered, in other words. And only the Word of God is powerful enough to do that. As we contemplated last time I stood here, good question is if we aren't delivered 100% of the time, uh, you know, what, what's the holdup in other words? Why doesn't everybody do this thing? What does this imply? Well, it obvious, the obvious implication is that we don't abide in His Word 100% of the time. If the Word is 100% effective. I think that's what Isaiah 55, 11, never comes back empty-handed. If the Word is omnipotent, in other words, is all-powerful, is able to do the thing that it is meant to do, but yet somehow it falls short in our lives, we're the ones. Somehow we're not clinging to it 100%. It's all-powerful. Somehow we're thwarting that power. We don't believe it. We reject it. We go, la, 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 you know, that type of thing. Right? Because if we did actually cling to the Word 100% of the time, we would be delivered 100% of the time. We wouldn't even have to have these lessons necessarily. So the truth is that we really need these messages from the Word of God. 
We need the Word itself. And we need the Holy Spirit to teach us. A good place to start that train of thought is, as we noted last time I was here, in Proverbs 1, which is just simply amazing. If you want any of this wisdom to be in your soul, it's almost like, I don't know, you know, before you go out like in a good, strong run, you know, you warm up a little bit and then you stretch, you know. I don't know. That, that To me, that's like Proverbs 1. It's like, you ready for some heavy lifting here? You ready to hear some, some truth? Read Proverbs 1 first. And you get that sort of like, I don't know, that warm-up thing going on. So let's grab a few highlights now. Go to Proverbs 1.5. We read the whole of it last time. But let's just do a little highlight reel. Get us reconnected. Such a magnificent chapter in Holy Scripture. Proverbs 1.5. I'm just going to jump around a little bit. Because we read all of this last time. Such a wonderful chapter. Proverbs 1.5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Look at verse 7. The, the famous one, right, from our perspective, keeps coming back over and over and over again. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He says, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Verses 8 and 9 really do stand out as reminders to all the good labor we've done lately on the topic of family. Verses 8 and 9, of course. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not consent. Verse 18, these men, these sinners, these ones that are trying to suck you into the, their perversions, their awfulness, they lie in wait for their own blood. In other words, they're hurting themselves in the end. They set an ambush for their own lives. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain, for example. It takes away the life of its possessors. It's a beautiful example of, you know, do something supposedly good with all the wrong motivation and you're cursed for it. Yeah, it takes away the life of its possessors. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Sound familiar? Again, up here on the board. Sound like that? The end goal of godly discipline is repentance. If you turn around, if you hear my voice and, and you say, I, get, I see it, let's get that thing out of here. I'm going to pour grace into your lap. You're going to be healed. We're going to get going again. That's wisdom. Again, verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour my, out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. To the contrary, verse 28, look at verse 28. Then they, those who disrespect the Lord, will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Compare that to verse 7 would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. 
For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. What a wonderful, incredible opening chapter to the book that we've been in, just a little further down, 17 chapters later. We've been in that book for 59 parts already. What a way to open it up. It provides wonderful connective tissue back to this past week's special messages on discipline even. See, the messages, when you think about things that way, the messages are all rolled up into the same big sphere of understanding, the same ball of wax, so to speak. As Proverbs 1.7 stated, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to your attitude towards the word of God. The simple question is, I mean, with that on the table, right? With that on the table, just verse 7 alone, with that on the table, the simple question is, do you want the truth or not? Do you want instruction or not? Or do you just even, you know, show up to a a message like this one, and when you get to that point, those parts that you don't like, you're in your head, you're going, la, 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 la. Do you want the truth or not? Do you want to get those splinters out of your fingers or not? Or do you just want to persist? Do you want the truth or not? I'll share an email I received after the last blog I wrote, which was titled, When Others Fail. So this is from a member of North Christian Church. They said, hi, Pastor. It's so sad and incredibly confusing to watch someone go through a period of backsliding. I think we've all been through it in small ways here and there, but to see a brother or sister really falling away has got to be one of the most heartbreaking things. I think it's something that a church like ours witnesses a fair amount of, mostly speaking of people who have left. It's like the unadulterated word of God taught with strong integrity either draws people closer to him or drives them crazy. When you talked about, quote, seeking a position of strength before delving into the hazards of dealing with the human flesh, that just hit me so hard. The flesh really is like hazardous waste, and it has the potential to be so toxic and deadly if not handled correctly. And in parentheses, they say, we're all suffering from a bit of radiation poisoning, I suppose. LOL. (laughs) As God intended, and as you've taught, the best way to respond to someone in their flesh is with love. Sometimes it seems damn near impossible. (gasps) This crazy writer. (laughs) Seems damn near impossible, and I fail a lot with it, but I know I've never regretted it. Thank God for his mercy and grace. Thank you so much. You are so loved and appreciated. Hope you enjoy your time off and get plenty of rest. Love, a member of North Christian Church. Again, the simple question is, do you want the truth or not? I mean, everything the Spirit said this last week about discipline has to come from the word of truth. 
It all bubbles down to that. If you want to be delivered, it has to be at the hand of the word of truth with the help of the Holy Spirit. It has to be that way. Do you or do you not want the truth? Do you want to be delivered or not? Or do you just want to persist with your little buddy and call up your friends and talk about dysfunction junction and live a life of misery and perversion? Or do you want to actually be delivered? Now, if you want the truth, up here on the board. This was something that I left you with a week and a half ago or so. Read your Bible with intent and humility. Read your Bible with intent and humility. Intent to what? Seek the truth. That's what. Not with ill intent, not with the intent of trying to be a lawyer where you're trying to find loopholes for this or that thing. Take Scripture out of context, because remember, Satan does that. Take Scripture out of context for your own purposes so you can keep your little buddy here. Blame the rest of the world for all your splinters, right? It's not your fault. And, and tie together some perverse story that preserves something ungodly. Or do you want to just read the Bible to open it up fresh every day and go, whatever I find here, I'm going to cling to. Whatever I read, I'm going to hold fast to. I'm just going to accept it. I'm just going to accept it. Knowing that the intent, the end goal is to deliver me. Read your Bible with intent and humility. And I said this last time, but remember, the Bible isn't a magic pill. It requires your undivided attention when you read it. When you do read your Bible, here's something you'll find consistently. I'm just going to roll through these up here on the board. Philippians 4, 6. Here's something you'll find all over the place. Crazy, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. By prayer. Next slide, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Next, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That means like never stop. Next, Luke 11:9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In other words, pray. That was at the coattails of the persistent friend parable, remember? Just pray, keep going back diligently, persistently. That's what the word of truth tells us. Doesn't say just do all this stuff, do you know, just come to church, just read your Bible. No, 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 no. God wants you to meditate on these things. Right? If you you know, think of the visual of the splinter, right? What do you do? Just go like this. Oh, my finger hurts. No, you get a microscope out, you get a pen if you're like me. Sometimes you use a lighter, sometimes you don't. To sterilize it, no. And you're like this. You're looking. It takes a long time to figure out where it is, what, you know, what the problem is. Where's that splinter, darn it? That's persistence. It's engagement. It's intent. It's humility. 
before the power of the Word of God. That's what the Spirit's been teaching us. You go digging. You go meditating. You ask God for guidance. You ask God. You pray to God for faith itself, just like the apostles did. Increase our faith, Lord. Pray. It's not a magic pill, my friends. I know that's not what we live, that's not the world we live in right now. Everything's instant gratification. And guess what? Satan in the, in the, in the kingdom of darkness is all too glad to give you that pill. Here, here's a little ointment, sweetie. This will numb it out for a little while. You don't have to repent from that thing. We'll just put a little numbing ointment on it, right? We'll bring in the next fool. We'll bring in the next drink. We'll bring in the next drug. We'll bring in the next disgusting human being in your life. We'll bring in the next seducer. We'll bring in the next, you fill in the blanks. We'll just cover it up. We'll just numb it out. Satan and the kingdom of darkness is all too glad to do that thing. And God's like, stop that game. Stop all of that. Own up to it. Pray about it. Read your Bibles. Get that wisdom. Hold fast to every nook and cranny you can dig out of the Bible. Pray to God about it. Pray for humility. Pray for faith. Pray for understanding. Pray for wisdom. Do all that for others even. Because God knows we're all weak. Amen? When we read our Bibles with intent and humility, we learn that prayer is a big part of wisdom itself. It's wise to pray. And we gain wisdom through prayer. In other words, it isn't just something God suggests we do. Rather, it's a real part of wisdom. A wise person prays. A praying person becomes wiser. You, you follow? Do you see the little ecosystem right there? Yeah. Takes us back to our recurring principle, and I think I'm going to close here. Up here on the board, the power of truth. This is a recurring principle now for weeks. The word of truth is the one thing always able to break the change of bondage to lies. If you want to be delivered, if you're in pain right now, something's out of whack. God is doing you that wonderful favor of saying you're in pain because. He's doing a wonderful favor. And he's giving you the word of God. And he's showing you the truth that sets you free. He's saying, there it is. There's the splinter. Let's pull it out so you can be relieved delivered that's the power that we're talking about here the word of truth is the one thing always able to break the change of bondage to lies amen all right let's bow our heads Heavenly father thank you so much for this incredible privilege of being here this morning of receiving this wonderful message that you ordained for us from eternity past father no mistakes no perchance we're all here for a reason father we all needed to hear it. We ask for your faith. We ask for continued humility, Father. We ask for continued guidance and even tenacity, persistence, intent. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.